Good to see so many familiar faces and a few new faces as well. But uh, I just have to say how um, how thankful we are as a family um, in uh, being here with you all this morning in worshiping the Lord with the saints here and now to um, look into God's word. So just uh, first off, I just have to say thank you. Thank you for your prayers for us. Uh, as so many of you all have prayed and uh, sent us uh, uh, notes of encouragement, emails, cards, calls, so thankful, especially with uh, with regard to my dad's situation, and you have prayed for both our families, and my sisters and ours, and we are so grateful for the support uh, that you have rendered to us, not, not just in this matter alone, but so many other things. As I look around the room, uh, I'm just filled with uh, so much of gratitude. And I speak this on behalf of my family to say how grateful, how thankful uh, we are as a family. I'm reminded of Philippians 1.3 where Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always. In every prayer of mine, making mention for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So grateful, so thankful for each one of you as I look around this room the impact that you have had on our lives over the years. And uh, I have to say this, that, uh, that when we were here, we probably didn't appreciate it as much. Now that we have been away from you guys, it's, who's counting, right? It's been 11 years now, but uh, it's, it's been so good to remember you all. And every place I go, I always talk about you guys. The time that we have enjoyed here, and my wife always reminds me it's been 11 years and it's time to let go of Lake Owl. <laughs> but I don't think I ever will. She has tried that time and again with me, but uh, not that she has moved on either, She's, because she reminds me from time to time of the good times that we have had and the fellowships that we have enjoyed here. But again, so thankful. Hope, hopefully that I wasn't sounding like a broken record there because every time I come up here and I mention this, but again, this is just a, a means of encouragement one to another, right? And that is what God desires of us, that we encourage one another in this walk of faith. So this morning, keeping up with the, with the topic here, this, this morning we want to consider this title of the Prince of Peace. And before we dive into God's word, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning, for this time of remembrance that we have had together in remembering your great love for us in sending your only begotten Son and the sacrifice that he made for us, that he was to us. And how we thank you, Father, that he not only died, but that he rose again. And now he is seated at thy right hand, interceding for us as our great and faithful High Priest. We thank you for the promise of a soon return. Father, as we dwell on this topic of the Prince of Peace, pray that you would speak to each one of our hearts. Speak through me, I pray, Father, that every heart here that is in thy presence would be encouraged through the work of the Spirit in each one of our hearts. So once again, we commit our time to you. Ask for your grace. Lead us by thy blessed Holy Spirit, we pray. Give you thanks, and in Jesus Christ, most precious name we pray. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. We read this uh, verse even this morning, but uh, let's let's uh, read verses uh, 1 through 7, if you may will, and I will be reading from the authorized version, and um, it reads as follows. Isaiah, chapter 9, and verse 1, 
and we'll read the first seven verses of Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 1 reads as follows. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. When at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali and afterward did more grievous, grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Verse 4, For thou hast broken the yoke of, this, of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, and garments rolled out, rolled in blood. But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. Verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the garment shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his garment, and the peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. May God add his blessing on the reading of his holy word. Of the different titles that are given to the Lord Jesus Christ in Isaiah's prophecy, the title that we are about to consider, the Prince of Peace, is pretty significant in that it speaks to the deepest need of the human heart. And this morning, I would like for us to consider, if you may will, five aspects in relation to the title, the Prince of Peace. Firstly, we will consider the perspectives on peace. We look at the world's view of, of peace. We'll also look at, uh, most importantly, the biblical view. What does the Bible have to say about peace, right? And then we'll look at the problem of sin. Thirdly, we'll look at the preview of God's peace, especially as we look at the uh, some of the Old Testament passages. Then we'll look at the provision, God's provision for peace. And finally, we'll close up with this, the, the principal elements of biblical peace. And so that's what we will do in the will of the Lord this morning. So firstly, we will consider the perspectives on peace. How do you, how do you picture peace in your mind? Maybe a baby sleeping under a warm blanket. We just um, um, had our, uh, my first nephew was born a few months ago and uh, the, the, the proud parents sent us a picture of the baby um, swaddled in, in warm blankets and uh, man that was a, a load of sweetness there to see that baby wrapped up in a, in a blanket and uh, to some that does picture peace in their minds and to others maybe two warring nations laying down their arms and embracing each other I'm sure you've seen pictures of that as well maybe that is a picture of peace to some and I love this, a beautiful sunset on a beach. I would love to 
love to experience that. A beautiful sunset on a beach. These are a few of the pictures that people have of peace. The Webster's Dictionary had this uh, definition for peace, a state of tranquility or quietness, says the Webster's Dictionary. However, what the Bible has to say about peace is quite different. I'm sure we, we know this, right, already. Biblical peace is more than just the absence of conflict or a state of rest. It means completeness, as we even sang this morning, complete in thee. Thanks to Mariah and Hannah and Joe as well. The great singing, by the way, guys. That was a a wonderful hymn. Completeness or wholeness is what the word peace means. And most importantly, it points to the presence of someone more than the absence of conflict or trouble in our lives. The word for peace, I'm sure we know this, is shalom. Right? And according to Strong's, it signifies completeness and well-being. It comes from the root word, I believe, shalem, which means to enter into a state of wholeness and oneness that is signified by a restored relationship, especially wholeness of the relationship between a person and God. Shalom conveys the sense of being at peace with God. It involves more than forgiveness of sins. It signifies the fullness of life and prosperity and peace with men as a result of that peace with God. There is no single English word that can truly convey the richness of the meaning of the Hebrew word shalom. Shalem is also used in terms of making restitution. In Exodus chapter 22 and verse 4 we read, if a man stole an ox or a sheep from his neighbor, under the law he was to restore or shalem, what he had taken. Shalom is frequently used in the Old Testament in reference to the well-being of others, right? In Jewish culture, people would uh, would say shalom in greeting one another as shalom, shalom alaykum, which means may you be well. Our Lord himself greeted others with peace, John chapter 20 and verse 19. This is what... Uh, Brother William Barclay, a theologian, had to say about shalom, and I quote, The word shalom never signifies the absence of trouble, but it always relates to that which makes for man's highest good, end quote. I love that quote by Brother William um, Barclay there. The Greek word, I believe, for peace is, I'm sure we, we know this, irene. I like to pronounce it as Irene, but the proper pronunciation, I believe, is Irene. And it means to join together into making something whole. The picture there is, again, binding or joining together what is broken or setting the the divided parts at one again. So the basic idea of shalom is a, a harmony of relationship or a reconciliation, if you may will, based upon the payment of a debt, and the resulting satisfaction. It expressed the deepest desire and need of the human heart. It represented the greatest measure of contentment and satisfaction in life. The Hebrew word for sar, for prince is the word sar, and the idea behind the word prince, I'm sure we know this, is ruler or a leader or a captain. 
And it's a Greek equivalent, I believe, has the idea of an author or a pioneer. So now that we have looked at the perspectives of peace, let's look at the the problem of sin, right? It's important that we consider the problem before we look at the solution, right? A good understanding of the problem helps us appreciate the salvation and most importantly, the Savior himself. Regardless of the kind of work that we do, right? Many a times we are called upon to fix a problem. And the first thing that, uh, especially in my line of work, the first thing that they want to know is, how soon can you fix this problem? I work for the bank, and um, just recently we've been working on, a, on an issue. I'm not going to tell you what the issue is, because you, you may not want to hear the, the problem, but it's a, it's a big deal. Customers have been affected, and so on and so forth. And um, so the first question is, how soon can you fix the problem? And guess what, as, as engineers, what is our, our response back to them? We know, we need to know what the problem is, right? We need to recreate the problem so we can fix it. And unless and until we can recreate the problem, we're not going to be fixing it. We cannot, we cannot give you an estimation as to how long it's going to take to fix the problem unless we know what the real problem is. And so, this morning it is good for us to consider the problem of sin. So we have a deeper appreciation of the Savior and what he has done for us. If you recall the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, we see this phrase, God saw that it was good, mentioned six times. God saw that it was good. And furthermore, chapter 1 ends with this note, and I love this, right? That when God had finished creating everything, at the end of of day 6, he declares everything to be very good, is what we read there. I love that expression. Very good is what God says. All that God made was perfect. There was no defect. There was no flaw in it. It was good for it was agreeable in the mind of the creator himself. And it was just as he would have it to be. Somebody said this and I and I love this quote. In the Garden of Eden. So before I uh, get to the quote. When God compared, I'm sorry, my my thoughts are a little bit messed up here. So when, uh, this is the quote, when, when God compared the blueprint of his creation to his created world, it was exact, there was no defect, not one misplaced stroke, end quote. And I really love that quote. So when God placed Adam in the Garden of Eden and told him that he could freely eat of every tree, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we read therefore God goes on to say, For in the day that thou shalt eat us thereof, thou shalt surely die. The phrase, you shall surely die, can be literally translated from the Hebrew text as, dying you shall die. And that's exactly what we see there happening in the Garden of Eden. Right? The emphasis there again is on the certainty of the punishment. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate of the tree of good and evil, they spiritually died instantly. But then, they eventually died physically as well. With their disobedience came sin and death into the world, Romans 5.12, for by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for, for that all have sinned. From that moment in time onwards, there has been a lack of peace 
in the hearts and minds of people. So that's that in a nutshell is about the problem of peace. Thirdly, moving on, we will look at the preview of peace as we see it in the Old Testament. As you read through Isaiah's chapter, Isaiah chapter 7 through 9, we see the prophet recounting the actions of Judah and Israel. Judah, we see, was faced with fighting a battle with Syria. And Ahaz, the king of Judah, instead of trusting in God, looked to Assyria to fight Syria. And we all know the story there. And Israel, on the other hand, sided with Syria to fight against their own blood, Judah. And what is it that we find there? Both the southern and the northern kingdom were disobedient to God. Right? In that what God wanted them to do. And as a result, Isaiah wants them both, both the northern and the southern kingdom, about the about God's judgment upon them in the way of the coming invasion of Assyria is what we read over there. Verse 22 of chapter 8 sums it up all well. Chapter 8 ends with this note. Behold, trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish is what we read there. And that's how chapter 8 uh, ends. Dearly beloved, isn't this what we see in the world today? Mankind having rejected God and his word is in total darkness and in distress. All we need to do is just turn up the news in the evening or wherever you catch your news from. Or you look around society today. There is so much of darkness and distress in the world today. But how we praise God for the good news of the gospel. That there is deliverance and rejoicing that is promised in the Messiah. And the salvation that he brings about. Look at verse 2 of chapter 9. It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Praise the Lord for it speaks of the coming of the Messiah, the light of the world. And there is great joy and victory in the deliverance that our Savior has wrought for us through his ultimate sacrifice on the cross. The gospel is designed to break the yoke of sin and Satan. We thought about it even this morning, to remove the burden of guilt and to free us from the oppression of sin and Satan. That we might be brought into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah prophesies of a coming victory and deliverance. In verse 4 he says, as in the day of Midian, he says. It's quite interesting there. As in the day of Midian. Isaiah here reminds us of the victory that God had wrought for his people, Israel through Judah, over the Midianites of which we read about in Judges chapters 6 through 8 there. There we see a beautiful picture of deliverance. We looked at even, Brother Dan reminded us even this morning from the book of Judges there. The book of Judges describes a difficult time in the history of the nation of Israel, right? In Judges we see what is referred to as the sin cycle being repeated over and over again. The children of Israel would do evil in the sight of the Lord. And as a result of their sin, God would punish them and give them over to their enemies. And the children of Israel, in their struggle, would cry out to God, and God would raise up a deliverer, and would deliver them from their enemies, and give them peace, a rest, for a period of time. And then again, we see this cycle being repeated, and then after a period of rest, the children again, the children of Israel again do what? 
do evil in the sight of the Lord. And this is a cycle that we see in the book of Judges. And in some ways it reminds us of our own flesh. I don't know about you, it reminds me of my own struggle with sin in my life. And so, going back to Judges there, we see, and in their pain and in their struggle, the children of Israel crying out to God. And God, uh, when we get to Judges chapter 6, we see there that God, uh, because of their sin, the children of Israel had given them over to their enemies. And this, this, this time around, it was the Midianites. And the, the word Midian basically means strife. Reminds us of our own flesh. The Midianites, we, we read there in Judges chapter 6, were swift. They were ruthless in their attacks. As one can imagine, there was no peace in the land. Midian um, was causing so much strife among the people of God. And it is then that we see the God raising up Gideon to fight the Midianites. We know the rest of the story that the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon as he was threshing wheat near a wine press is what we read in Judges chapter 6. Why was he why was he threshing wheat in the wine press or near a wine press? Because he was afraid of being seen by his enemies the Midianites. He was afraid of his wheat being carried away by the by his enemies. And so what is it that we find them doing? They were, they were hiding in caves and dens is what we see. It sort of pictures us, our own life without Christ. Our own lives without Christ and in our abiding in Him. Ironically, it is in this context that we see God as Jehovah Shalom. Isn't that amazing? I don't know about you, but as I was reading through some of that, as I was meditating, it just boggles my mind. The way the whole scriptures are set about and the, and the things that come into play, the sin that we see in the lives of his people and yet the deliverance that God has prepared for those who wait on him, who put their trust in him. Jehovah Shalom means the Lord, our peace. And there we know, we know the rest of the story there, right? Gideon being filled with fear. Um, as he, he he thought he was probably going to die because he realized that he had seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And to which the divine response to Gideon was what? To Gideon's fear, God says, peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die is what we read in Judges chapter 6 and verse 23 there. So as a result of that, Gideon was strengthened and he experienced peace in the truest sense. Right? And what did he do? He went he uh, went on to build an altar unto the Lord and he called it Jehovah Shalom. Our Lord, the Lord, our peace. Fourthly, moving on. My time is running out here. Moving on, we want to look at this God's provision of peace. We looked at several of these things this morning. The Lord is the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9 and 6. But before our Lord's birth, Zacharias announced him as the day spring from on high, who hath visited his people to guide, to do what? To guide our feet in the way of peace is what we read. Luke chapter 1 and verse 78 and 79. Luke 2, 14, at the birth, at our Lord's birth, a multitude of the heavenly hosts sang, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill to men. Jesus preached and promised peace. Luke 7.50 and John 20.21 Peace be with you, he says. Our Lord's word to his fearful disciples after his resurrection was 
Peace be unto you, John 20 and verse 21 there. So why did God provide us this peace? I love this passage in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19. For, for, for Paul says, for it pleased the Father. For it pleased the Father. As we were thinking about even this morning, the thoughts that God brings to our hearts concerning uh, what was God's thought concerning the great salvation that he has wrought for us. Here we find that it pleased the Father that in him should dwell all fullness. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things. And then he goes on to say, you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he hath reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. It was the Father's good pleasure that all the fullness should dwell in Christ. It speaks of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it also speaks of the reconciliation that he alone could bring to mankind. When sin entered in the world, man became estranged from God. He adopted an attitude of hostility toward God. But now that reconciliation has been accomplished because of the work of Christ on the cross and by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice, we can be brought back to the former state of harmony and peace with God. How? How is this accomplished? Through the blood of his cross, in the body of his flesh, through death, is what Paul reminds us, through Christ's substitutionary death on the cross. He has provided a means to reconcile sinful man to a holy and righteous God. Reconciliation there is primarily manward. And it was the provision of Christ's death for us on the cross. Romans 5 10 says, For if we were enemies unto God, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. How much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Ephesians 2.14 says, For he himself is our peace. And he goes on to say that he might reconcile us to God through the cross. We thought about this even this morning. Just amazing, you know, so many so many times we can pretty much disperse right after the Lord's Supper, right? And this is just amazing. And so many, every Sunday we do this. And in, in this particular occasion, we, you know, we kind of knew what the topic was for the day, but... There are so many times when we, we really don't know what we're going to be dwelling upon the, the family Bible hour and yet the Spirit of God through His amazing work impresses upon our hearts. As we come prepared to worship the Lord, as we come prepared to lift up the name of the Lord Jesus and we see that, that unity, that oneness that we come together with, with, with the sole intention and purpose of lifting up the name of the Lord Jesus. And so it is even this morning, we were reminded of this very fact, even this morning, first comes righteousness and then comes peace. The only righteousness that is acceptable to God is the righteousness of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and those upon whom He bestows it through their faith in Him. The writer of Hebrews draws our attention to this truth in Hebrews chapter 7, where we read about Melchizedek, a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Melchizedek means what? King of righteousness. And there we go on to read Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 1. Melchizedek, let me see the king of Salem, which means he is the king of peace. A right standing before God is the precondition to experience peace. Romans 5 and verse 1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. In Christ, our lives are made complete and whole. In the hymn that Mariah and Hannah sang earlier, Complete in Thee, the hymn writer says, Thy blood hath pardoned, bought for me, and now I am complete in Thee. 
our relationships are harmonized and we experience the not only the spiritual but also the psychological wholeness that God intended for human beings. His peace alone can provide us freedom from the anxiety and fear. Christ's death is the means of that reconciliation with God. Lastly, and this is where I want to dwell the rest of our time this morning, five principles, the principal elements of biblical peace. Sorry, four principal uh, elements. When we consider biblical peace, we find that there are at least four principal elements uh, that we find. In Christ, we experience upward peace, peace with God. We experience inward peace, the peace of God. We experience outward peace, peace with one another. We experience onward peace, perfect and perpetual peace. Upward peace with God in Christ, we experience upward peace with God. Peace with God is the basis of all true peace. Romans 5 and verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is that justification by faith alone that brings us into a a right relationship, a right standing before God. That helps us, that enables us to experience peace with God. Secondly, in Christ, we experience inward peace. God desires of us to experience His peace on a moment-by-moment basis as we live out His life in us. The peace of God is a one-time experience and it speaks of our justification, our standing before God. But the peace of God, right? I'm sure we, we, know, we know all these truths. is a moment-by-moment experience as we grow in our sanctification, in our Christ-likeness. John 16 and 33, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world, the Lord says. Towards the end of that upper room discourse, we see our Lord, him knowing that his disciples were to experience grief in his death and in his physical separation from him. He says this, in me you may have peace. Philippians chapter 4 is is an amazing passage in our local assembly there. We have been studying through the book of uh, Philippians. And it's been a truly amazing um, experience just looking through verse by verse and and doing an in-depth study there. And uh, we see Philippians chapter 4, Paul explaining to us as to how we can experience this peace of God in our lives. Verse 4, verse 6 of chapter 4 there, Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Be not anxious, but let your requests be made known to God. Herein we find the promise of the peace of God. Right? Paul is exhorting us to take those specific matters that cause anxiety to us. I'm sure we all have different ways we get anxious. For some of us, just some trivial things can cause us to be anxious. Just a couple of weeks ago, um, hope this is not too traumatic for you, but a couple of weeks ago, uh, my second fridge gave up on me. And then I had to go to my dependable friend uh, Lowe's, and uh, we got a, a brand new 
a second fridge. We brought it home. We turned it on. Seems to be working. And then we heard uh, Charles and Grace were going to be visiting us that, that week. And so guess what? We had to load up our fridge with food, right? So that's what we did, you know. We loaded up our fridge and and the next day we go and open up our fridge and all of a sudden it's not working. And I, you know, it's like we got all this food in the fridge and this and that. And you, you can only imagine how my mind went. And I was, I was thinking of, Lois, how can you do this to me? <laughs> you know? I thought you were my loyal friend. I come to you every single time to, to buy my appliances. How can you do this to me, Lois? You know, and uh, then I just calmed myself down. And then I called up their number and um, long story short, all I had to do was what? Unplug and just put it back on. The good old reboot. Everything started working fine. Thankfully to this day it's working. I I hope it's working. (laughs) Even as I speak right now. (laughs) Because it's got... I'm sorry, brother. (laughs) Exactly. I've got plenty of meat in that fridge anyway. Uh, you see what I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm sure, you know, this, I'm, I'm joking here, but again, these are things that just take away our peace. Trivial matters. And yet it is a struggle for many, right? But how do we experience the peace of God? Paul here clearly explains to us as you, I'm sure we have read this passage many, many times, right? Paul says, gives us so many pointers there. Stand firm in our faith in the Lord, he says in Philippians 4 and verse 1. By rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ, not in our circumstances, but in him. By prayer and supplication, he says in verse 6. By meditating on him, the one who is altogether lovely, is what he says in verse verse 8. And then Paul goes on to say this in verse 9, he says, The things that you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, Blessed art you, and you will experience peace. Is that what we read there? No. What does he say? The things that you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, he says, and the God of peace will be with you. And the Greek word for do basically means to repeatedly perform something so that it becomes a habit. The things that Paul exhorts us to do is like rejoicing in the Lord, being worry-free in the Lord, meditating on the Lord Jesus. These things need to become a part of who I am and how I live my life to experience the peace of God. Another beautiful verse, Isaiah 26 and verse 3. I'm sure we have this verse memorized. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusted in thee. This is a beautiful verse to read. Good to memorize and even wonderful to experience. In the original text in Hebrew, the word shalom, I'm sure we know this, is repeated twice. Why? For emphasis of the undisturbed perfect peace of God. This verse states that God will keep him or her in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him, for he trusted in him. The word for stayed there has the idea of, of one that is leaning or one that is resting and is being supported by God. So when we put our confidence in God and when we look to Him for support, He will keep our minds and protect it from the onslaught of the enemy is what Paul there is reminding us. But the measure of our peace, right, depends on the measure of our sanctification, our dependence on Him. Colossians 3.15, this is what Paul says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, he says. 
Christ has to rule and reign in our hearts and in our minds if we are to experience this peace. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Romans 8 and 6. One other verse, Psalm 119 and verse 65, I love this verse. Great peace, great peace have those who love God's law and nothing, and nothing causes them to stumble. Is what we read in Psalm 119 and verse 165. Moving on, thirdly, we experience the outward peace, peace with one another. As children of God, we are called to be peacemakers. Hebrews 12 and 14 says, pursue peace with all men. Romans 12 and 18 says, for if it be possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. God is not asking us to do the impossible. There are some who will not let us live at peace with them. But we should make every effort to live in peace as much as it depends on us. You and I are responsible for maintaining peace in our relationships as much as it depends on us. Ephesians 4 and 32 says, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And we are to experience peace not only with ourselves, but with others as well, whether it be in the home, with our families, whether it be in our neighborhood, in our places of work. We are called to live in peace with one another, but all the more so in the local assembly. We see this thought being prime in our Lord's mind as we read about his high priestly prayer in John's Gospel, chapter 17 and verse 21. There we read, speaking of the church, our Lord prays that they may all that they all may be one, is what our Lord prays. He prays there for unity. But why? He goes on to say, that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so Paul exhorts us to maintain unity in the local assembly. Endeavoring to keep the unity in the bond of peace is what we read in Ephesians 4 and 3. And so, as members of the local body, It is your responsibility and mine to maintain that unity in the bond of peace. Forgiving one another. Some of us are more sensitive than others. Especially in this area of of interpersonal relationships. I might say something. I might be overbearing sometimes. I might... All these kind of issues are there in our interpersonal relationships. But imagine this, that God has placed, if you are here and part and parcel of this local assembly, God has a purpose, and I firmly believe that. In the places that God has taken us in the last uh, 12 years, we have been as a family, we have been in three assemblies. In Kentucky, and one in Indiana, and now in Columbus, Ohio. And we firmly believe in the times that we have spent in each of those local assemblies. We firmly believe that the Lord had a purpose in taking us there and keeping us there for the time that we were there. And how the local saints have been in just an encouragement and a blessing to us. And, it, and you and I should consider it as a privilege to work with one another. In spite of our differences, in spite of our character traits, whatever that might be. We need to put all those differences up aside. And work with one another. As, as Paul there reminds us in Philippians 4 there was a particular situation between two sisters in the local assembly and Paul there reminds us that we need to have the unity of the mind of Christ as we read there. Moving on. I'm sorry, I'm taking a few minutes. I'm going over my allotted time, which I hate to do, but in this instant, I hope you would bear with me. Finally, 
Fourthly, in Christ we experience onward peace. Perfect and perpetual peace. I loved how we began this meeting this morning. We began this meeting uh, earlier and during the Lord's Supper, the first song that we sang, peace, perfect peace is what is how we began this this meeting together and this is how we want to end. Peace, perfect peace is ours. You would... Um, you would recall the words of the two angels at the time of our Lord's ascension. They said, this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. One day this Prince of Peace is coming back. The Lord of glory who came as a little baby will return as a reigning king. And he will set up his kingdom of peace and will reign for all eternity. There will be no end to his reign which will be established with judgment and peace and justice and will be one of unlimited peace. The Old Testament prophets like Isaiah spoke about that in Isaiah 66 and verse 12 where we see a picture of a river as an expression of the abundance and peace. In Ezekiel chapter 47, we see a glorious river flowing down from the temple in Jerusalem, but that river belonged to the millennial earth. But beyond that, John the Apostle speaking of the new Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 22 says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. And he goes on to say, And they shall reign forever and ever. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 7, and we will end with this thought, Of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. And I love the way this verse ends. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. If you have any doubts in your mind if any of these things will come to pass, the Spirit of God wants to remove that doubt from our minds and says, the Prince of Peace will bring it to pass. And his zeal will perform this. In closing, do you know this Prince of Peace? Have you, expe- have you accepted the reconciliation that he alone has wrought for, for you? If you haven't already done so, now is the accepted time. And those of us who have trusted the Savior may we experience the peace of God as we continue to lean and depend on him. May we look forward to the coming of our Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, as he will come back to receive us unto himself, that we may be where he is, and that we might experience perfect peace for all eternity. Once again, I just want to say how thankful I am, how thankful we are as a family to be here with you all this morning, and to be spending this time together considering God's word, and I thank you for the opportunity once again. Let's close in a word of prayer. Gracious God, a loving Heavenly Father, we are so grateful, so thankful for the amazing God that you are. We thank you for your written word that just explains to us your mind, that describes to us, Father, the kind of person that you are, the love that you have for your people, the love that you have for your creation, that you would go to the extent of giving your very best for us in the person of your Son. Oh, we thank you for our Savior, Oh, we thank you that he was willing to humble himself even unto the death of the cross. Father, we thank you for the peace that we have with you, all because of the finished work of your Son.
our blessed Savior. We thank you for the peace of God that you give us every day as we continue our sojourn here, as we continue to depend on you, as we continue in obedience to you. Pray that you would help us. Help us, O God, to live in peace, not only with ourselves, not only with you, but also with one another. And all the more so in the local assembly, Father, pray that you would help us many times to put away our differences, to put aside the things that tear us apart, but to unite us, to be joined together in the work of our Savior, in the great work that you have given us, in the commission that you have given us to take this good news to those around us. So help us, we pray. We thank you for the perfect, perpetual peace that awaits every child of thine. As we look and long for that day, as we await the coming of our Savior, we pray that you would help us in the meantime to be busy, to be working for you, to live lives that honor you. Once again, thank you for this time, Father. Thank you for your word. We pray that you continue to work in each one of our hearts. Lead us by thy blessed Holy Spirit, we pray. Give you thanks. And in Jesus Christ's most precious name we pray. Amen.